Hi, I'm Eddie. I run a comic shop and publish my own comic strip. And I'm Roger, and I run a comic shop and my very own Comic-Con. And I'm Joe, a lifelong fan who does all the real work to make our show go. Every week, we'll discuss the newest insider info that you won't get from your favorite comics and talk to some of our favorite creators and publishers. So come take a peek behind the counter with Tales from the Comic Shop, part of the Geek Nerd Network. Weekly on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Think of the children. It's a trick. Get an axe. Give me some sugar, baby. Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? See this? This is my boot. The 12-gauge double-barreled Remington. S-Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. That's right, this week, baby, was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Retails for about $109.95. Got a walnut stock, cobalt blue steel, and a hair trigger. That's right, shop smart. Shop S-Mart. You got that? I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. Groovy. Okay, get ready for your apocalypse. It's the return of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye. Uh, we're back after a tiny little bit of a hiatus. I, I apologize. Just some, you know, sickness and some other things getting in the way of recording. But we're back and we're talking about Cabin in the Woods. Uh, the, the Drew Goddard, Joss Whedon joint um, that is both a sort of a sort of satire and meta commentary on horror uh, and. And, and here we are. It is, I mean, it is the ultimate Cabin in the Woods movie that's obviously drawing a lot from uh, from the Evil Dead franchise, the the original Cabin in the Woods movie. And um, and and here we go. So I'm Andy Wilson, your host. Uh, we've got most of our normal crew here. Returning champ Melissa. Uh, and- <laughs> And you saw Evil Dead Rise already. Yay, yes, I saw it on Friday. Has um, anybody else seen it? Just you. Okay. Uh, give us, like, the 30-second the version. No spoilers. I'll give you the my tweet, my 30-second, okay. my, my little micro-review that I did um, on Twitter. Because, yes, I find myself on Twitter way more often, again, because it's baseball season, and that, that's where my Rangers fans are, because they're certainly not here in town. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, so it was sufficiently creepy. There was a lot of suspense and tension that was really good. Very bloody, like buckets of blood, like can't stand up straight because you'll slip type of bloody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and lots of gore, but it wasn't scary, creepy and scary, gory, bloody, not the same thing as scary, you know? And, and I, I think I've said that before on this friend or this uh, podcast, it's like, you know, I feel like a lot of movies these days are all about the gore and the blood and not really scary per se. There's, you know, the couple of times they try to jump scare you, it didn't work, Uh um, but I'm also a little jaded, so you know. Maybe was it that's funny? Cool. No, 
no no not even like unintentional nothing like there was no real um like like there was no nothing to cut the tension there should have been Mm -hmm. they could have thrown a joke in here or there but there wasn't um but my my biggest gripe about this film is like most films and especially in the horror genre the women suffer far worse than the men Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like body horror and everything else. And, um, and especially psychologically. Um, yeah. So we'll talk about that more. Hey, that, that's a, that's a good preview for this, this episode too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the women always suffer and everything Joss Whedon do is cause he's a fucking misogynist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're going to get into it. Oh my gosh. It's going to be so fun. I have uh, Also here, J.B. Flinders. Hello, everyone. I have not seen Evil Dead Rise, but I am excited to, um, I, I, you know, Melissa, it's kind of like, like you said, I think there's really good movies that do the non-scare horror. Mm-hmm. Um, like thinking of Brooks' very first Candyman which was not scary per se, but like the, the epitome of what you do with a horror film when you're not trying to scare somebody per se. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to see it with your recommendation. It's it. I, so thank you for sharing. Cause it is, it will be fun to watch. Yeah. And last, but certainly never least, uh, Brookheim, how are you doing? Good. I, um, I don't think I felt too unsimilarly to Melissa on this one. I think if I were to give it like a three word summary, I would say I fell asleep. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. And I I fell asleep in like the last 15 minutes, like when it was supposed to be good. Right. I was like, I'm just so over it. I couldn't get into this movie. No. In the first place. I can't go back because I, you know, when you're like, you're reading a book and you get to the bottom of the page and you don't know what the fuck you read because your mind's not really in it. That's how I felt with this movie, like the entire time. Wow. Yeah, exactly. That's how I felt too. And I, I, I don't, I tried to go into it without considering who Josh Whedon was, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which we can only do to a point, right? But right. like, I still went into it, and I'm like, well, you know, I kind of have early onset Alzheimer's, so I kind of forget a lot of details. But maybe I'll, maybe I'll be okay. <laughs> um, and even with that being the case, like, I just, and there were actors in this, like the guy from, uh, uh, see, I can't Four. remember details. No, no, West Wing, Grey's Anatomy, Jackson. Um. Oh yeah. Um. I, know I was like, know. he's hot. I've been loved him. Maybe I'll watch it for him, or maybe I'll watch it for the redhead. Like, and even then, like it's still, mm-hmm. meh. Like the the scares weren't scary, and the tension was too tensiony. Like there was nothing to like give any sort of like endearing relief or attachment or like. Even the people in the lab were just a little mundane and predictable, and everyone was so stereotyped and plotted into their their whole like there was there's nothing clever about a movie that should have been really clever mm-hmm. and that's really interesting because so I watched this movie as metaphor, 
right? And mm-hmm. and you know, Andy, I think if, if there's there's people who have written on it, and if if I when I watched this movie, I saw the movie going audience as the old ones, yes, and the everybody else is playing the role that, to your point, Brooke, is really boring and stock because we demand that exactly, and and so. I totally get it. When I first watched this movie, I was like, what are they do? Like, I don't get it. Why are they doing this? And then when I watched it the second time, watching it as an archetype film, right? Like we, the old ones want the same horror over and over again, right? Like the, the standard movie going audience protests when people do unique things, right? That's, that's the only way, you know, Andy, that, and we, you and I kind of talked about this. That's the only way I found this movie entertaining, even with Joss involved, is I had to look at it as, okay, you know, we're the old ones. They keep throwing stuff at a wall because that's what people want, right? There's right. 22 Halloween films that don't do anything different because that's what people want. So, I mean, yeah, there's tons of stuff that I would have done differently or I would have liked to have seen. But to your point, Brooke, I think that's the way I had to watch it to enjoy it is to to watch it as a metaphor. And even then, I still fast forwarded some parts you know, <laughs> because there was some stuff that I was like, you didn't. This was a little too much of a slog. But yeah, to your point, that's the only way I could I could watch it and, and go. Um, th- this is entertaining is to, to, to put myself in the position of, OK, this movie wants me to be this old world demon, right? That's going to rise up if I don't like it and throw dots at the screen or whatever. So, you know, Andy, I don't know if that's uh, something you had, yeah, well, but that's, that was mine. Yeah. that That's how, I mean, I immediately clocked this movie and I, I actually, I have my review that I wrote when I saw this. Oh, how funny. Fantastic fest in, 2012 or whatever that was but um and and i wrote about that specifically that that this is a meta commentary about why we as the audience watch horror and we demand very specific sacrifices and uh and i now admit fully um you know, what was missing from, from my critical lens at that time was noting um, just how misogynistic that that is in its portrayal of, of the archetypes, that it's, it's literally the Madonna and the whore. And, and, they, and they even invoke that. They fucking invoke it. And lampshade it, right? But they say, like, yeah, this is what we're doing, and trying to be like, oh, they were kind of feminist. It's like, no, 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 you're fucking not. You're yeah. actually like, we we want, we need to make the, we need to make the promiscuous woman die first, and we need to make the, um, the pure one suffer. And everything else is just baked in. The men just have to die, but it's it's the the promise the promiscuous woman has to die first, and the um you know and the pure one has to die at the end, or has to it's, suffer. It's a weird icky meta commentary, isn't it? Right? Because nobody it really is nobody ends up 
leaving this movie winning because the, the the people who have to put themselves in that position feel gross that we're the old ones and and want this craven nonsense but then at the same time this movie maker is getting away with lampshading it like you said so yeah ugh. do you know what this movie made me want I, ho- I hope it's something like a Kong cone that we can all have. Yeah. <laughs> this movie, like all it made me want to do was hurry up and get to scream and talk with Melissa about scream. Nice. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what I kept thinking. I'm like, I am really glad we're watching this because it, it is a, like a weird bridge in between those two. And, and scream is the ultimate meta commentary right. on on slasher movies and so yeah i really can't wait and scary movie is the ultimate uh parody <laughs> of great <laughs> <laughs> with the with the wayans brother who dies with a with a dick shoved into his ear <laughs> you know i haven't seen scary movie oh my but, gosh we um, have to, we have to watch that during the scream because it, it we really should. is it's I, really yeah. worth it yep I've really wanted to. I I don't know. I'm just so. I like what most. I liked what you said about because I think we feel the same way about horror. I don't watch movies to watch people get slashed up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's nothing entertaining or scary or whole, like there's. I don't get anything out of that. And on the contrary, the scream movies are one of my most favorite franchises of all time. And. I think there's so much to be said about them for our generation um, while they still have some of their problems and things with them. But um, right. as I watched this one, I was like, it just. This movie know. wanted to be as clever as Scream. Right. But I it think failed. like it was trying to outdo it. Like, yeah. Well, oh, we're going to do it better. Like, look, now we're watching her through a window. And like, I don't know the whole it's- thing. I just was like. I'm bored of you. Yeah, it's like you said. I mean, you all kind of talked about it. Scream is this movie without ego. Like this movie yeah. just has way, like you yeah. said, Martha, this movie has way too much ego. And you, you know, this is the Ivy League scream. Yeah, this is the Harvard. I'm smarter than all of you. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Whereas Scream is like, no, listen, we're gonna we're gonna do something that no one's ever done. And if you like it, great. If you don't, oh, oh well. Right, yeah. you'll, you'll still buy the mask for Halloween. So that is all three Same of you. Same as our generations, like Citizen Kane. No, <laughs> so it, it's what we have. It's what we have given to the arts. It is. It, it is our contribution to horror, and like it's. There's. I feel so passionately about that. Those it is our generation's Candyman. Yeah. yeah, I think well, it's really brilliant, and it says no. a lot, but. And, it, and it's about our generation. I, I just, but this movie was like, it, yeah, it's just, it's just pretentious. Yeah. It's just, yeah. You, yeah. you hit it, it right on the head, JB. It, it is ego. It's, it's Joss Whedon's ego. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because I know that it's supposed to be commentary and, and meta or whatever, but, and I know, I understand that the ancient ones that want all the, have all the bloodlust, that are, we're supposed to be them, right? Society. That's who he's saying, you know, mm-hmm. but it's really Joss Whedon. Right. And I don't think he understands that. Yep. It's him. 
He's the ancient ones. He's he's perpetuating this. He's supposed to be commentary on it. But he I felt like this whole thing was just perpetuating, not commentary. Do you understand? Like he yeah, missed totally, the mark totally, in totally. a big way. Yeah, totally. I'm the problem, it's me. Well, <laughs> and, and it's absolutely it, and it's it's you all mentioned it and, and Brooke, you said it too. It's we've learned so much since this movie was made, not about just him, but movies in general. Mm-hmm. And I think they you know, they skated in 2012 because there it wasn't as of intelligent of filmmaking, right? Like there was just a lot of stuff that was going on in the 20s and 2010s that you know, people would just go to the theater and relax and watch movies with popcorn. And and luckily we've we've gone past that. And I think it is. You're right, Brooke. Going back and watching stuff like this and Melissa, like you said, it's it's a different viewing experience mm-hmm. and it's really gross <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes you're right Melissa. it's really gross yeah and i my my other takeaway was upon watching this and reflecting on it is how much of a self-insert uh the the fran kron's character yeah you were going to talk about that Let's go yeah. into this a little bit more i totally I'm see it in dollhouse yeah. i understand what you mean yeah so, yeah, he's a guy who shows up in a lot of Joss Whedon projects. And in preparation for this, I watched all of them. I watched both seasons of Dollhouse. I wow. watched. This is why we took two weeks off because Andy was so sick that we had to give him time to read. We were doing it for the audience. No, and, and, <laughs> we sent him Gatorade. He's fine now. <laughs> and I watched his Much Ado About Nothing. And, and this is, I want to separate. I am not criticizing Fran as a person. I don't know him. I don't know anything about him. But the way that Whedon wrote and directed his characters, he's always the smartest guy in the room. He knows he's the smartest guy in the room. He pretends that he's dumb or goofy or nerdy and is making jokes. And underneath that is this really sinister... Um, air of just base manipulation and um, like and God complex and yeah. God complex. Oh, such absolutely. a good point. Absolutely. Yep. And so he's the one it's like, oh, he's the fool, but because he's actually smart because he does so much weed. <laughs> that was such um, a dumb part of the story. Like, oh, his weed yeah. is laced with what? Like juniper berries or whatever that and that avoids the chemistry. Yeah. What is yeah. It's I like mean, come on. The weed makes him him immune to all of this. And so he's better. And he makes then the choice at the end to just be a nihilist. And I'm not saying that choice is necessarily wrong because we can debate the morality of the like, well, if it means my friends have to die, maybe we shouldn't have to perpetuate society and we should just burn it all down. We can debate nihilism another time, but the way that Whedon consistently writes him and directs him and even directs him as Claudio in Much Ado About Nothing, it's there's always this thing underneath that is really sinister and, um, and really kind of scary. And I again now that we know what we know about Whedon um it 
it is hard not to see him as as the self-insert across uh, especially especially dollhouse but also really here that whedon just made a meal out of this character and then put his buddy fran in it too because he knew that he was capable of playing the joss whedon self-insert character because he'd already done it on dollhouse for two seasons so yeah that's my that's my big takeaway on this and it sound like he's like self-aware about it and maybe he is with with inserting Frank Kranz in there but this movie I feel like he didn't have enough self-awareness because he didn't realize he's the monster yeah well I or it's just narcissism he knows he's the monster and he's telling us but he thinks we'll he'll never get caught because no because he I mean maybe okay and here's the thing I, I'm trying, I know, you know, we're trying to separate Joss Whedon, the man from this movie, but like when it came out about him cheating on his wife, he, it was so gross. Like he actually wrote a letter telling her like, well, all these women were throwing themselves at me and how could, you know, like basically how could I resist and, and just making, he didn't even realize how monstrous it was that he would have sex with all these women then go home and have unprotected sex with his wife and impregnate her you know he could have given her something he could you know what i'm saying like he that's monstrous to me and he doesn't he he said it in a way that made him like he didn't understand that this is so gross what he's saying that there's right. no excuse for his behavior. Just because girls are throwing themselves at you doesn't mean you have to do something about it, you know? But th- the way he says it, he does not realize that it's monstrous what he what he did all these years. And so that's why I'm not sure he has enough self-awareness. But he definitely has enough ego to not care if he was aware. That's right. for sure. Absolutely. And and the the fact that he didn't see that being in a position of power or authority was something that he was abusing that the reason women were falling for him or whatever is maybe they weren't maybe he was pressing his advantage and you know intimating that hey if you want to flirt with me then you get a promotion and that was the culture on the shows and you know if you wanted if you wanted to play and be one of joss's favorites then you got to go up the ladder and if you didn't then you got written out of the show like charisma carpenter Mm. my my twitter friend charisma carpenter Your Twitter friend? Uh, my Twitter friend. She and I tweeted back and forth with each other after this all came out about Whedon. Like, a, not a lot. And, I mean, she doesn't know who I am. But um, we did have a couple of lively interchanges on on Twitter, and it was very nice. But she was like, this This is how it was. And, and Whedon, you know, like, literally wrote her off of Angel – because she was pregnant that's that's just unconscionable like it's it's illegal (laughs) it's against labor laws to 
you know, discriminate against against anyone because they're pregnant in a workplace. And um, yeah, that was just uh, and and the way that uh, women writers talked about the way that he would he would dress them down and just be horribly cruel to them in writers room meetings in a way he wasn't towards the male members of his staff and Mm -hmm. incredibly critical of, of the female creatives on his show. And it's like, you, you can't claim to be feminist and doing all of those things. It's like, I'm, I, I am not apologizing for the cheating. Melissa, you are absolutely right. That's gross and unconscionable. But for me, the abuse of power and the like toxic workplace stuff is just as dead of a giveaway that he's not actually doing this right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But Drew Goddard, on the other hand, as far as we know, an okay guy. And I'm looking for a piece of wood to knock on to make sure that, you know, right. we don't. We don't get new revelations as this podcast comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, uh, you know, I look at the way Goddard has treated his female characters in other projects. He's had complete creative control over Cloverfield, uh, season one of Daredevil. The fact that he chose to make Karen such an integral portion of that season the fact that he chose to make um uh oh now i can't remember her name but the night nurse character Mm. um and and she became the major connective tissue between all of those netflix series um but you know i it did seem like he was trying to elevate and so for me in the like separate the art from the artist stuff. I know this is like an easy sophomoric take, but for me, it feels good to be like, whatever I like out of Cabin in the Woods, I'm going to mostly think is Goddard's and the stuff that I don't like is the stuff I'm going to say is Whedon's. (laughs) And that's an easy out for me, but. Um, I don't know. That's that, that's definitely how I. That tells it. you how old I am. When I heard Night Nurse, I thought of Barbara Stanwyck. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> like whoops. I thought of Night Court. So. Oh, nice. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to separate. And yeah, I think you're you're both right. Um, and and we talked about this earlier on because I have the same problem with Avengers. Um, still one of my favorite MCU movies, but you know, how do you separate? the art from the artist. Um, and I think this movie, it's pretty easy to do that because you do, you look at it and you go, all this pretentious stuff is very obviously, um, his little wheeling and dealing. Right. Um, and it's a lot harder to cover up what's going on in the background when the ego is so prevalent, like you said, Melissa. So, yep. Yeah. But I can't, I can't help but like some of the things in this movie which which I've said and there is there is some stuff in here uh, to celebrate. Um, however, this 
this movie had a long and tumultuous uh, development process. They filmed this. Okay, so the movie came out in April of 2012. Uh, guess when it was filmed? 1931, right after The Night Nurse with Barbara Stanwyck. <laughs> no. You got anyway. it. <laughs> I'm going to guess 2007. Close. Your yeah. your price is right. Actual retail price without going over. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Drew Carey. I you feel worse about myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, 2009. Um, the only other thing Hemsworth had really done in uh, America so far at that point had been the um, uh, the Star Trek cameo at the beginning of J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. And he was, like, they had no idea who this guy was or what he'd be. So this is like baby, baby Hemsworth before he's broken out at all. Uh, And probably one of the reasons why they're able to eventually get it out is because it's like, oh, okay, he's, um, you know, he's he's making it big in, in the Marvel movies and, 2012 is the year the Avengers comes out and Whedon's involved in that. So, you know, there's, there's this story and they think they can, they can get it done. Why did this sit on a shelf for three years? Um, MGM yes, and universal. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, that is accurate. Part of That's the prize is right answer. Way better. Than that, one. <laughs> that is actually part of it. Melissa. Really? Is, they, they, well, they, you know, they kept showing it to test audiences and test audiences like shrugged and were like, I don't like this. What is this? Um, and so it took some doing to like actually get them to put it out. Um, the problem. If I ever go the- on Supermarket Sweep, I'm taking Melissa with me. <laughs> <laughs> that show since I was a kid, the old oh. one. I like the reboot with. Um, Oh, what's her name? With a uh, oh from, from, from Saturday Night Live. Is yeah. she Saturday Night Live. What's her name? Is um, she so good in it? She's so enthusiastic. Like she, you could tell she loves hosting that game. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, all I can think Leslie, of are Olympics tweets. Leslie Jones. Yeah. Leslie Jones. Yes. And you know what? If you were a fan of Game of Thrones, go onto YouTube. She used to do this thing called um, Game of Jones. Oh my god! Where she would sit and watch an episode with um, Seth Meyers um, on his show, and uh, holy crap, it's funny! She's god, a, she's so, so good. good. I love her. She is a national treasure, as far as I'm concerned. We yes. would kick some major ass on supermarkets. We would. I think we'd win it all, man. We would. We would. Absolutely. I, mean, they, I want to fucking made, do that. They made a board game about it. I'm totally buying one for everyone. <gasps> oh, all right. Really? Oh, Amazing. Supermarket, supermarket sweep game. Race against really? time. Yeah. It's How on, did I not know about it? I don't that? know. I'll send you the Amazon link and it'll it'll crack you up. because I oh, Yes, please do. Okay. Hang on. I'm, and by Amazon, I mean whoever sponsors us next. Buy <laughs> it <laughs> on. The link from Musinex. Thank you, Musinex. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. But, Sorry. Uh, well, similar to No, Super it comes Mario. with actual mini carts, though. Like, you, you have a little no like, paper cart, and you fill it up with lists of items that you think are the most expensive. Anyway. No I way. Just, yeah. That's, 
this is going to be um, my new favorite board game ever because I'm going to run over people with my little tiny cart. <laughs> <laughs> and that that sounds that's awesome. Okay, so similar to someone going crazy at Supermarket Sweep, <laughs> MGM, MGM found themselves in a little bit of a financial crisis. Remember 2008, the like financial crisis that happened. Um, they, although they hadn't like you know invested in real estate or whatever, but they had over leveraged themselves uh, and owed a lot of money to a bunch of private equity companies. Always the villains in these stories. So much so that the the interest payments they were due on their debt was greater than the revenue they were bringing in from making their movies. So every single time they put out a movie, it like had to be a hit or else they were going to go under. And um, they, they just, they were having so many problems. They just could never release it um, because even though the filming's done, you know, they would have to come up with another like 50, 60 million for marketing and um, and all of that. And they just didn't have it. Um, so, and also the problem was it was, you know, studio executives were like, we don't have confidence in this. We don't think that this is going to be a huge hit. Uh, to be fair, it ended up not being a huge hit. It made their money back, but it was not a huge hit. Um, spoiler alert for the box office. But, um, you know, so so audiences were were right to sort of shrug at this and studio executives were, were right to kind of hold on to it. Um, they got a big break when Harry Knowles of <laughs> Ain't It Cool News, himself a major sex pest and sex predator, Mm. Yeah, with a name like Harry Knowles. Mm -hmm. That's mean. You're walking into the door on that. The answer is in the question. (laughs) Harry Harry Knowles, king of ain't it cool news, uh, and and like foundational part of like the Austin geek scene. Um, You know, put Alamo Drafthouse on the map, and every year for his birthday, he would take one of the theaters at the Alamo draft house on South Lamar here in Austin. And they would have a 24 hour, butt numathon uh, where it would, it was his birthday party and he would, I'm sorry, a what? A butt numathon where you, where your Harry Knowles goes numb. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) There's a whole thing about this. It was a Brooke, you like, this was a huge fucking deal, actually. Like, Butnamathon was like this crazy thing. Like, celebrities were showing up, directors were showing up, um, people were premiering stuff that wouldn't come out for like six months. And because Ain't It Cool had such a big following, and then all the other entertainment websites would write based on you know, stuff that Ain't It Cool was putting out. If Harry Knowles showed something at Buttonumathon, it could like oftentimes be the difference between it getting a release or not. So, um, 
he was friends with Whedon. Uh, obviously, birds of a feather flocking together here. And um, they showed it in uh, November of 2011. And because of this like huge response, uh, and of course, there's a bunch of like national press there as well, because um, Harry Knowles is a star fucker. And anyway, so there's all this like positive buzz out about Cabin in the Woods, and it's so amazing. They then get a spot to premiere it as the opening night movie at South by Southwest four months later. And so that's the premiere, and that's how the movie finally launches. Um, but yeah, anyway, from financial troubles and the uh, you know 2008 liquidity crisis to sex pests helping out sex pests and uh, and finally this movie coming out. That's the that's the story of how this movie finally got out off the shelf after four years. Uh, yeah. The box office, huh? No. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Before, before we get to the box office, um, let's talk about what's on the whiteboard. <laughs> this was one of my favorite things, actually, in the movie. Um, there, there are dozens of things that are on the whiteboard of possible things that they, that they could have died from. Uh, so does I'll anyone just... else wish they really would have done mermaids? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think the merman would have been funny, especially since we got to see it. And the, uh, the best part of that stupid merman is when it killed the guy and it's like shooting blood out its blowhole. <laughs> like that's just a funny, that's just funny. That's like great Looney Tunes gore. I like that. And I'm I'm glad that Bradley Whitford died that day. Uh, the asshole that he is. That guy has always been an asshole. Like, he's so... It, and here's the thing. Bradley Whitford himself is, like, a charming, very nice person. But he's so good at playing assholes. Every movie he's he's in, basically, he's been an asshole. Back to Adventures in Babysitting. Does anyone remember? He was the... The stupid boyfriend in Adventures in Babysitting. Yes. Oh, you really? Yes. Oh, shit. And he's the bad guy in, um, uh, shoot, not Happy Gilmore. Um, Billy, Billy Madison. Madison. Billy Madison. Yeah, he's the yeah, bad he, guy. He Billy played Madison. Harry Knowles in that movie. <laughs> no he, milk will ever be our milk, Harry. <laughs> you, could, you could put bradley whitford in a fat suit and he would be the perfect harry knowles oh my god that would actually be like brilliant casting anyway okay so so here we go here were here were all the here were all the things werewolf alien beast mutants wraiths zombies reptilius clowns witches Sexy witches. Oh, <laughs> that's a separate well, category. Halloween, in other words, right? That's better right. than sexy clowns, I guess. <laughs> Demons, Hell Lord, uh, angry molesting tree. Mm. Oh, we've been there. That's, yeah. that's on that one. <laughs> that's the direct, uh, yeah, the direct response to uh, 
Uh, Evil Dead Dead here. Um, Giant Snake, Deadites, another Another Evil Dead. Good lord. Uh, Kevin. Oh, not Kevin. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, Kevin is the creature with the like the weird, uh, like grindy face hole thing. What? Anyway, my mind went straight to a Home Alone. (laughs) That would actually be pretty fun. Kevin McAllister from right. Home Alone. <laughs> Kevin! <laughs> that makes uh, it a really enjoyable movie. That's, yeah, that's probably the the Kevin you'd rather be killed by. Because uh, getting... Kevin Kevin James, not as fun. You know, you go through the list. Kevin Costner kills in the boredom. face with irons and yeah. stepping yep. on tacks. He goes, ah! Like, with, like <laughs> yeah. Uh, mummy. The Bride, The Scarecrow Folk. Is The Bride from Kill Bill? Was Kill Bill out yet? No, Kill Bill was not out. Okay. Wait. And and The Bride, I think we see The Bride, don't we? Don't we see Do we? like a, a an evil, like an undead bride? No, Kill Bill was 2003. Is this oh, where yeah, okay, yeah. Bridezillas come from? Where did what come from? Is this where Bridezillas come from? <laughs> I don't I don't know. Everyone dies by being forced to sit down and watch 18 hours of TLC. The bride to the dress. The bride is a humanoid monster. Kept in the yes. Yeah, so so that's if you put on the wedding dress, right? Right. Yeah, she is not seen in the purge. Oh, she's not. Okay. Uh, snowman. <laughs> Dragon bat, which we saw. Vampires dismemberment goblins oh those are the worst sugar plum fairy merman oh merman merman uh the reanimated isn't that just a zombie i have the black lung pop isn't there just a what the reanimated isn't that just a zombie uh there's there's also zombies but i apparently the reanimated is something else no the reanimated it's the potential zombie <laughs> the, frat, the frat boy zombie. Yeah. Bro, we're back. <laughs> Unicorn. Uh Huron. Um Oh, you actually see the reanimated, by the way. Oh, you do? Pair of humanoid monsters. They that's the one. It looks like a zombie, Melissa. It's the one that's hanging from the ceiling in the purge. So why not just call them fucking zombies? I don't understand what's the difference. They are d- depicted as living corpses similar to zombies, but their undead state comes from deliberate reanimation of tissue, like by mad scientists, rather than zombie viruses or radiation. So they're stitched together. Okay. So they're like Frankenstein. Oh, Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Yeah, oh, basically. okay. Similar okay. to Deadites and the Reaver. They just call in the creature from Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Frankenstein's monster, but not. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Sasquatch slash Wendigo slash Yeti. That's too many slashes. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> creepy dolls. Creepy dolls always bad. The doctors. No, always bad too. Uh, of course, our bad guys here: zombie redneck torture family, uh, jack o' lantern, giant, and the twins. The, that's everything on the whiteboard. Um. I don't know. I'm I'm sad we didn't get to see sexy witches. Well, yeah. I just have a soft spot for sexy witches. Just but. go out on Halloween. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Sexy everything. 
Yeah. Not clowns. I bet there's a sexy clown outfit. Oh, out that's there. there's terrifying. I, I know would, what I'm being for Halloween. There's a there's probably sexy Kevin. <laughs> there's Andy. That's that's all of us have to pick a sexy costume and. Yeah. Uh, Andy, I'll, I'll arm wrestle I'll you be, for sexy Kevin. I'll be sexy Kevin from the office. I'll just I'll put on the the bald cap and make a big pot of chili. And, and I'll be sexy Kevin Costner from Waterworld. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And you guys will have to. It'll take twenty five quarters to get me to walk ten <laughs> steps, like in the Simpsons episode. Did, did you see somebody made that? No way. <laughs> so there's a Simpsons episode where Millhouse plays an arcade game of Waterworld. Where, yeah, it takes like $5 to play for three minutes. Someone actually made a Waterworld game. And like every five steps you have to like put, you have to do the animation for like putting in money. <laughs> there are playthroughs on YouTube. It is, it is tiresome, but it is funny that someone actually like made the, the like 16 bit Waterworld arcade game. It's, it's very funny. Okay. Uh, JB, you wanted to ask a question about archetypes. Oh yeah. I, Cause we were talking about this at the beginning and I know it's, it's trite considering what we've talked about, but was there any archetype any of you gravitated towards of the five that were in this movie? The whore. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All, I mean, everything's on the table. Because she's not even a whore. She's in a committed exactly. relationship. Yeah, it doesn't no, even make any sense. She enjoys sex. And, oh, no, can't do that. Like, God forbid a woman have a libido and enjoy sex. Exactly. Not Yeah, not in the, the ancient ones version, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were all such strange archetypes because they weren't really the horror tropes right yeah the virgin isn't a virgin she had an affair with her professor she yeah. played more the whore than the whore and the intelligent dude is not intelligent he just smokes the weed that was one of the things that really stuck out to me in this yeah. movie that i was just like i think one of the the low-key like most irritating things that he put into this was well it's as close as we can get to a virgin in this day and age like, first of all, would have gotten me in college. That's not an issue. It doesn't matter if people are or aren't. And secondly, like, that's such, that's some pretty smarmy, slimy shade that you're throwing at all females. Like, yeah. You could yeah. just fuck right off with that garbage, that it should have any value whatsoever, and that you're laying it out that way. Well, well, really. All women are just whores this day and age. Like the whole that mm, that was the part that really I don't know why it just really that bugged me more than anything else in the whole movie. It's a it's a good studio note that I had, which is either do the archetypes better or different. Like why isn't the guy an archetype for a whore kind of thing? You know, like yeah. But I get it, right? It follows the stereotypical lampshade, like you said, Andy. But yeah, um, but I think... you're not being clever by making them the archetype, but not the archetype. Right. You're just being a creep, right? Yeah. How does it? How is it? How would the ancient ones like it working if the archetype isn't correct? 
So yeah. Yeah. Cause none of them really, I mean, the jock is really the only archetype that works. Um, the rest of them, it's yeah. kind of like, yeah, I mean the stoner, I guess too, but the, the others kind of, there's too much gray area, I guess. Well, archetypally. that's, that's the thing too, is the scholar is also on the football team. Right. He like just transferred in and like, and Hemsworth is talking about like how many yards he's going to rush for next season or whatever. It's like, you know, it's, it, it is, they're obviously being like really loose with, with all of these as quote unquote archetypes, but yet, um, you know, all, but all of the male ones are like positive. Mm-hmm. But yeah. The, the right. female ones like are reductive. Yep, reductive and and uh, uh, connected to their suffering, mm. which yeah, that's that sucks. Yeah. Um. Uh. Do who do I see myself as though? Probably the scholar, just because I'm boring and because and because he was like kind of nice and he was like trying to do the right thing. Like he saw there was a two way mirror. He's like, I'm not, I'm not only not going to look, I'm going to tell everyone and like, make sure that they know too. Like that, that seems honorable. So I don't know. And oh, by the way, that, that actor, Brooke, I didn't know he was on Grey's Anatomy because it shows you know, I've never watched Grey's Anatomy. Um, but he, I love him on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> he is the lead in one of my favorite video games of the last five, ten years, Detroit Become Human. Great uh, game. Which is all about uh, robots gaining sentience. And he's essentially like, he's the, the robot Martin Luther King or the robot Malcolm X, depending on which choices you make him make throughout the storyline. Just like, is he going to be like a super peaceful leader or That's is he very going to cool. be more like a militant leader? Um, he's amazing in that game. And that's a, that's a wonderful game. I love him. He's, he's great. But I guess I need to watch Grey's Anatomy. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, no, don't. I, no. I, tried to, uh, I tried to quit that show so many damn times. <laughs> <laughs> I can't so many fucking times. Jesus, I hate myself sometimes because I can't quit. It's so manipulative. Manipulative. See, I tell you, I can't talk today. Um, emotionally manipulative. Yeah, I can't. So can't talk today. <laughs> um, so yeah, it. You don't. Don't do it. Okay. I try not to care, and then I get to like, oh my god. It's Monday morning. I didn't see if there was a new grace this weekend. Yep. Oh, what, what am I doing? Yeah, I hate myself for it. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, wow. Self-loathing. That is all that can come from getting into Grey's Anatomy. Self-loathing. Okay, JB, back. You started the question. What's your answer? So my archetype is uh, Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> You're the one in charge. Yeah, I'm the one who's like, everybody just shut up and do their part so we can get out of this. And probably failing, but... Yeah, that I love that. I was watching yes. it. And I'm like, I'm really none of these people. And then Sigourney Weaver came out and I'm like, yeah, I do that a lot. Like everybody just just get it done. Right. 
So let's talk about Sigourney. Yeah. Fever. Sorry. I mean, I didn't mean it to oh be the gosh. natural transition, but let she, that, that character was just so entertaining. I love her so much. And she is, as, as I said in the last episode, I think she is like the greatest of all time in terms of leading franchises, adding things to franchises. She's the heart of Alien. She brings it in Ghostbusters. Galaxy Quest. Sounds like they're going to make more Galaxy Quest. But, you know, she's amazing in that. Um, She's in so many of my other just like favorite movies. She's the eight minutes I watched of Avatar. Oh, she's so good. Yeah. I, I did not like the new Avatar. But I liked her as a 14-year-old alien, like, swimming in the water. If if that three-hour movie had just been the Sigourney Weaver as a 14-year-old Navi, I'm, I'm kind of there for that movie. Um, but most of that movie. How is bad. she 73 years old? <sighs> I have she is what? a goddess. You do not Legit. question that's she's crazy. Mm-hmm. And she's just such a great actress. Like, I just, um, I love the movie Dave. That's one oh, of my so good in Dave. Like, favorite movies, and she's so good in Dave. And, like, and she goes on a, a journey in that movie. She has, like, major, major changes, and she plays all of them so well. And just, I, yeah, she's amazing. I love her. And when she showed up, I lost it. I'm like, I, I had, I was really vibing with the movie at that point. And then she showed up and I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm happy. This is it. She's great. Who did she play in Wally? Uh, she was the ship. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah. It's the, uh, she's done that twice. Um, she was the voice of the ship in Wally, and she's also the voice of uh, the ship in one episode of Futurama. Oh, funny. Which is also very funny, uh, where she falls in love with Bender the robot, and then he, like, tries to ghost her. <laughs> and it's, like, it's all about having a bad workplace relationship, but, like, what if the bad workplace relationship was between the robot and the ship? Nice. <laughs> Anyway, she's really great in that. She's really great in everything. I, I can't like I can't think of a bad Sigourney Weaver performance. Like she's no. in stuff I don't like, but she's almost always great. She's even know. good in the village. I legit love the village. And oh. I, I think maybe it's because I love her. Could be. Because she's she's so good in the village. Oh, she's so good in the village. Can I just say, I think Sigourney Weaver is the perfect example of why Josh Whedon is so despicable. Because as we were talking about him, I was listening, and I like, I like to challenge my ideas and say, okay, well, I mean, he like when you were talking about him writing himself in and these different things, I'm like, is that just human tendency? Is he more of a narcissist? Is he... Is he just sort of middle of the road? Is it is it something that just comes with greatness? Like, 
like the paper that I wrote in college about how Eminem is really just our generation's Mozart and Beethoven and these like great composers who did horrible things and not that Eminem has done horrible things but <laughs> he's just considered on the extreme of humanity when when he was first making music and things and so it's like I, I was sitting here challenging it and then as we talk about Sigourney Weaver it's like you know what no he's just lazy he's just lazy and weak-minded and you have people who are truly great at everything they do like Sigourney Weaver where you don't have the same ego and narcissism coming into what they are creating and the art and the way that they are doing it and it doesn't have to be about them or the abuse of other people and these different things and obviously Josh Whedon takes it to horrible disgusting extremes with the way that he has treated people and his wife and and all of the things that we've already talked about but it's like no he is actually really despicable Mm -hmm. and it it is not an excuse of greatness it's not a byproduct of greatness it's not like all the things that we talked about with james bond of is he a good person or a bad person or is he does he have to be a bad person to do the job or etc etc it's he's josh whedon is just lazy and and totally indulgent without any regard to others amen brooke and do you know did you know he's a nepo baby his uh his father was also um a writer who's uh, or some other way involved in hollywood and that's how joss like made it into the industry at a very young age and so was like head writer on roseanne when he was like in his mid-20s like making the buffy the vampire slayer movie in his when he was like 25 26 like you know you mean the tv show yeah yeah uh, well no he made the movie in like 1993 and then made the tv show like five years later Mm. so yeah but but he got that break and and by the way the show or the movie failed and Joss Whedon got to fail up into making the <laughs> the TV show which lucky thing that show was good uh and and most of the other um uh Whedon shows have been good but there's been but there's a lot there but he he wouldn't have gotten there without nepotism and patriarchy which or is penis ironic yes yeah yeah absolutely like fucking men failing up mm-hmm. so that's the uh that's the lesson kid I, I just have to tell you guys my daughter is sitting next to me and all she heard of that was penis and men failing up she just looked at me and started laughing <laughs> <laughs> without the rest of the conversation her mom seems a little weird i know what podcast you're on no <laughs> <laughs> talking about penis and failing up obviously it's kiss your franchise goodbye hi prue <laughs> anyway um she says hi back yeah. <laughs> jb uh, you you had some thoughts about the other uh the other old gods they were trying to placate elsewhere oh yeah because the other thing i was wondering is is it even we talk a lot about he thinks he's so smart, but is he really smart to use 
like what did you say andy the swedish movie was a troll getting blown up by the military and of yeah. course the japan movie is you know seven schoolgirls fighting an evil spirit like are i guess those are even archetypes of film right but are those even too cute to what everybody thinks like are those even done well cuz i re- i kind of went oh of course that's what a lazy person would do to your point melissa that's what a lazy person would think japanese horror cinema is right just like seven girls in a school trapped with an evil spirit like oh we get it so i didn't know what anybody else's take was on it but i i kind of felt the same way andy like that that was pretty lazy too on purpose or not Yes, certainly a more reductive take, especially given the like renaissance of Asian horror in in the 2000s. Like uh, it it is kind of funny that like what what Goddard and Whedon said they were saying with the movie was to try to be a critique of like Hollywood moving to like torture porn and like overly like bloody and violent things just for the sake of of suffering rather than like whatever else but yeah they have this like kind of reductive take on you know what's happening with you know uh you know the ring movies or uh the grudge or i mean in insert any of a a dozen um, you know, Japanese or Korean horror movies from the same era. So, yeah. And Andy, did you get the list of the full set of countries? Um, I don't. Yeah, I'm I don't sure it's it. out there. I don't know if you've got it, but I don't. Yeah, I'll look I didn't. It up I didn't look it up because I. That part was like less interesting to me. Uh, I did like what was on the whiteboard. I didn't care about the other countries that failed because, come on, America. Okay, America. so it's. It is apparently there's the American ritual, okay, which has the archetypes, the harbinger, the method of death. The Japanese ritual uh, is the younger victims parody of J horror, homogenous group of young girls, no adult intervention. The Swedish ritual is a natural disaster. In this case, a large volcanic eruption using footage from Dante's Peak. Oh, <laughs> really? Um, the current, as the current American ritual is parody of the slasher, the Swedish ritual is a parody of the disaster film. The Argentinian ritual was the giant ape. So the monster film. Oh, interesting. And then the Spanish ritual is, was the burning building in Madrid. Okay. I remember that one, the castle, which is a parody of the Gothic horror genre. Okay. So Spanish, Argentine, Swedish, Japan, and U.S. That's an interesting set of country choices. Yeah, because, you know where's the? Um, you're 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 missing out on like an entire like twenty time zone or not twenty, but like huge twelve sub- time zones there between. Yeah, huge subsets of culture like Middle East or everything. India. Yeah, everything yeah. from Sweden to uh, Japan is just like oh nothing here. Yeah. Again, I don't I don't think it's because they lack their own um, film historically, you know, their own genres or anything. Yeah. Um, be interesting if Josh was just too lazy to research it. 
Well, I mean, this film wasn't out yet, obviously, because it only came out last year, two years ago. But Atlantique, the the African horror oh, movie. About did you see that? Was it good? Yeah. It was oh, good. nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have um, to add that to the list. Yeah. That's that's good. Um. Okay. Um. Any other final thoughts? Because I think we're ready for the box office. I was really excited that there was a troll, but turns out it was just Dante. No, it was it was just. I thought there was a troll. So, studio note: no Dante's peak. (laughs) Merman, Merman, Merman as Pierce Brosnan from Dante's Peak. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, let's get to studio notes in one second. Uh, The the box office, which I alluded to earlier. Uh, this movie came out on April 13th of 2012, um, and it made $42 million. So uh, adjusted for inflation, that's only $42.5 million, uh, and only made an additional $28.6 overseas. So that's where was this bad. in position to the Avengers? Did this come out? Like at the same time, was this? I'm just wondering if this, this is, is all like April. the Hemsworth effect. Avengers came out May, like May 20 something ish. Okay. Like a week or two before Memorial Day. So this was in the run up to Avengers. Hemsworth had been in Thor, um, and, and he'd been in, and he'd done Star Trek, but. You know, he'd obviously filmed this earlier. Gotcha. But I mean, but also the it's kind of like I, I don't know if like just the word got out or whatever, but like Hemsworth is only in the first like two thirds of the movie and then and then dies in a really funny way. Yeah. <laughs> I do kind of like that death. Like I'm gonna give an inspirational speech and then run my motorcycle into a motorcycle. into the Tron wall. Yeah. I do like that. I thought that was that was kind of fun. Okay, studio. That was my notes. favorite part of how hard you're laughing and Hemsworth taking it in the face with a Tron wall. <laughs> I love it. Again, like the things I like about this movie, I really like. I do like that. But the you know the guy who should be the hero is uh yeah has the stupid pointless death i love it <laughs> okay studio notes just watch scream <laughs> i was like um just don't make it you know <laughs> but I, I actually came up with the second studio note during recording based on something you said andy so if okay. you indulge me for a minute of course you brought up test screenings mm-hmm. and I, i'm gonna go off on a tiny little rant about test screenings okay the problem with stuff like that is that it, they're always in la so since they're in person they get they get nothing but people from la and people from la is not the rest of the country they are not representative of the rest of the country in any way really and the people who go to these things like i've i've actually seen them like you know screenings that were recorded like the meeting they have after to talk about it mm-hmm. and so many of them think they're directors or producers or some shit and they're like oh well i would have done it this way or i would have done that 
And so they're they're tearing apart a movie that I think most of America would probably like, but they're just like being nitpicky little fucks. And I don't, <laughs> I think they need to diversify these screens. And I know they're trying to, because I've been in a few um, that were online where I had to watch a movie and tell them. And, and when we, we watched the movie together and then they got us together on Zoom and, you know, it was fairly diverse in fact the one i was in was almost all latinos so mm-hmm. thank god they're actually asking our opinion on shit you know <laughs> nice yeah um so you know it's it, it, and it's it's wonderful to see such diversity in the latinos there were afro latinos there were you know white passing ones like me there was all, you know everything in between every color of the rainbow but they don't do enough of those a lot of the screenings are still in person it's still centered around la it's kind of like how for so long and, and even still to an extent today, you see like um, a lot of psychological studies about, you know, uh, any kind of psychology or medicine that's supposed to help with psychological problems. Those studies are done at universities by and large. And so they get people from the area. And wow. a lot of these universities are like white suburban areas, you know, because you have to, you know, college areas cost, you know, so they kind of drive up the cost of living in some ways, like housing and stuff. Yep. So you get a very white, upper middle class type of person that and that's who they have in these studies. And it's not representative of the diversity of people who will need that help that that's, you know, that will come out of that study who might need that medication. And so it it in the same vein, though, and far less importantly, movie screenings they're they're like sometimes you'll get the the pretentious la crowd tearing a movie apart and it might work it you know there's other people in this country besides you know those white pretentious people Mm -hmm. and so it just um i hate screenings in that sense i hope they have more of them like the ones i've been to online through zoom i've been invited to quite a few but because i i always work during the day now um, now that I'm not a freelancer, I can't join in on them. Um, mm-hmm. cause they're always during the day, which I'm like, hello, people work. What the fuck? But, um, so yeah, they're weekdays, like, you know, whatever, but yeah, hopefully you'll get more of those because, and it, that's just a rant in general. In the case of this screening, I wish those people had torn it apart so much that they wouldn't have released it and I wouldn't have had to watch it, but you know, Oh wow. Uh, but in general, I think these movie screenings can be very limiting and exclude people like me and, mm-hmm. um, and what I would think or, and, and what I would watch. And so I think they're mostly bad. And it's, it's so funny to me because I think like you are exactly the right type of person <laughs> who I would want in like every test screening. Who's like, <laughs> intelligent and well-versed in like movies like goes to movies cares about movies and and can like give give a strong opinion and it's it's backed up um so and and yeah it it shouldn't just be you know white dudes (laughs) white dudes in la who wish they were in the industry. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all a bunch of cousin Greg's in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what I thought when I saw like 
that use of that camera angle is I I was thinking like uh no, just, yeah anyway succession I'm Kevin Gre- cousin Greg he's the the ultimate like white dude self insert <laughs> anyway so um, my studio one of my studio notes is based off of what Melissa said this is 2012 right right so my studio note is give this screenplay to one of three people okay. Joel Cohen, hmm. Wes Anderson, Ooh. or Bong Joon Ho, and let them do this movie. I think that's really interesting. I mean, even even give it to Fincher. Oh, Fincher's version of this would be and wow. Because I think to Melissa's point, the problem with the screening is, yeah, Whedon's gonna get the Whedonites to fill the theater and i wonder if a a more challenging director takes this subject material does something less smarmy harvard right Mm -hmm. and then the test audiences are like that was messed up i don't know if i could ever watch it and we go yes put that in the theater right (laughs) so i I mean yeah that's because melissa's point is right on i mean the test screenings for a whedon film probably aren't going to do anything other than verify what Whedon is expecting right Mm -hmm. but maybe if you give this to you know I would lean towards uh you know Bong or or, um maybe even Fincher over Wes Anderson or the Coen brothers but I can see where those two would turn it into a uniquely character driven horror film right yeah um with a much better soundtrack well, <laughs> especially if it's Fincher, because I mean, Fincher's right in that slot right now where he did, he did Zodiac, he did yeah, this Social is seven, Network. Seven's did, right about, yeah, no, Seven's yeah. earlier. Seven's um, way earlier, but yeah. Social Networks, I mean, he just won yeah. or got nominated for all those um, Oscars for Social Network right. in 2011, right? So, I think so. That was 2011, so. Um, but can you, if you could imagine this with, with Fincher directing in a Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's cause Brooke and Melissa make the point really well that it's his ego is like frat boy, Harvard ego. And I mean, the Finchers and the Wes Anderson's of the world, sure. They're ego driven, but I feel like it's a different ego, right? Like it's, it's ego in the, the auspice of the art, not, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the man boy directing the film. So I wonder if that makes this material better. I mean, I'll throw I'll throw a couple more ideas out there. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. Okay. Um, mm. Robert Rodriguez. Okay. Um, but also, um, Patty Jenkins. In 2012. Yeah, because Monsters already come out. Oh, is that that early? Okay. Yeah, I can see it that. Hasn't though. hasn't it? And. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, if if this script could sit on a shelf for ten years, sure. Now, now I would think it. I would love to see what like Nia DaCosta um, would do with this. Who? Sure. Um, I mean, I didn't love everything about the new Candyman, but I think she did a a good job um, in terms of the visual direction of that Agreed. movie. And I'm really excited to see what she's going to do with the Marvels. Um, and every time I've 
heard her her talk on a bunch of different podcasts. She's just very thoughtful, and I I'd love to you know see sort of where where she might go with this. But. Yeah, I like the modern remake idea of it too, Andy, rather than necessarily time machining it. Um, yeah. So the, you know, well, what a difference a decade would really make between this movie coming out in 2024 versus 2012. Yeah. Um, it's just like a completely different set of circumstances and, and uh, uh, like way that we'd measure it. I think you'd have, you'd have a totally different set of monsters, right? You'd have like the COVID plague. You'd have inflation. You'd have inflation, man. Right. You just have, we just have, Trump. We just have, we just have like Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham. The and turtle. <laughs> Ted Cruz's beard. Instead of Kevin, it's Ted. Ted, Cruz. Ted Zodiac Ted. Zodiac Ted. Uh, anyway. Um. I, I would have liked to have seen them do this movie actually scary. Hmm. Yeah. Like instead of social commentary, like yeah, instead of choking on their own, like arrogance, right, and trying to to be so uppity with it, I would really have liked to have seen them actually make it scary or have some throwback to the the humor in it. Like let's let's make this an enjoyable fucking movie and make the scariness scary and focus on that and focus on cutting up that horror with humor instead of just slashing and torturing the women psychologically. Let's just make this movie have its impact. Like, I just think you could have had so much more social impact by playing into instead of just creating tropes and stereotypes. But if you want to do social commentary, do it right. Like we've seen it with Scream, we've seen it with Candyman, we've seen it done in ways that can be done and make a scary movie all of the things and you actually go on the emotional ride instead of just feeling like someone is trying to emotionally manipulate you with their brains the whole time and just hating them. So like that would have been my pull in some more from the original, like the first Evil Dead, not with the the over the top like claymation stuff but just make it funny and make it actually scary if you're gonna do jump scares make them effective if you're gonna do like have scary characters make them actually scary and i i think the whole control room like the control board room could have been done in a way that wasn't so pandering and schmarmy as well mm. Having just watched The Manxman, can I throw in a silent film version? <laughs> the Manxman. Like Go how funny would Patreon. how yeah. funny would it have been to try and pick up what was going on in this movie with it being a silent film? Like I might have enjoyed that a lot more. Studio note, the Manxman is one of the one of the creatures that can kill you. That's right. And, and the second and the, the second Manxman best is. Hitchcock silent film. Yeah. No, that would be fun. All right. Any any other studio notes? <clears throat> Better test screenings. Take that. Better test screenings. Okay. Um, ooh, best death or kill. 
Um, I, I mean, other than Tron Wall, because I think I think you have that one covered, right? The end credits when it kills the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm that guy in hand. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. I didn't want Sigourney Weaver to die. No. That's yeah. The, that's the worst death. I like her. Um, I'll I'll still go with the merman because Bradley Whitford got what he wanted, and then the bud the blood spouting out of the blowhole. That's that's just so good. There was a lot of random kills in the last fifteen minutes. I'd probably have to watch it again to get all of those. Right. Um, but definitely not any of the first ones. The no. first ones are all terrible. Yeah. Oh, and so mean and just. Uh. The only one that really scared me was when they killed Jackson. I know that's not his real name, but I can't remember anything about that. Movie. <laughs> it's better yeah. if you use this yeah, crazy name. <laughs> yeah, but no. when they killed Jackson in the van, I was like, ah, that one. That one got me a little bit. So I, I appreciated that it was actually a scary moment even though it was still just like garbage, but yeah. Okay. Uh, do we have any favorite one-liners or quotes from this? Nope. Oh, there was, there was one. I can't <laughs> Shoot. I forgot. to. I, I had them. I had them two weeks ago and I lost the document that I wrote them in. I lost my notes too. Because I guess because we've waited so long, and I'm trying to push this movie out of my memory, so that doesn't help. What's the line? I that... forgot so much about this movie. I had to turn it back on while we were recording. Ew, oh, you I'm poor so thing. Sorry. I only turned it on for like five minutes, and then it came back, and I was like, "Oh, that's enough." Oh, that's right. that's bad. But that just shows how dedicated Brooke is. <laughs> what's the line about? Um, what's the Latin line? Um, I'm drawing the uh, line. In the okay, sand. I'm drawing a line in the fucking sand here. Do not read the Latin. Yeah, I thought yeah, that was okay. pretty funny. Yeah. Are there was, um, what's the other one? Good work, zombie arm. Yeah, that's pretty good. But I like the don't read the Latin. Um, I, I think, I think the one the one joke that really worked for me is when the creepy old man has called in. And he's like going on his thing and like cleanse the world of their ignorance and sin. Bathe them in the crimson of Am I on speakerphone? <laughs> yeah, that was really dumb. I like that. Like all of a sudden no. he made speakerphone. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, I wouldn't do that. Yes, I am. I can hear the echo. Like, <laughs> I forgot about great. the stupid speakerphone. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um anyway. Uh I, I thought that, that that's actually kind of a funny joke, uh, which is also how Joss Whedon made a lot of his early career is by being a punch-up artist on, um, including on Toy Story, which is why he has a, uh, a credit on Toy Story, because he wrote extra jokes for that movie. Uh, there's a great bit that Patton Oswalt does about punch-up um, script writing and in animated movies, especially very funny. All right. Um, best side character. It's a Gorney Weaver. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Yep. She's, she is the greatest 
of all uh best song oh my gosh was there were there songs in here were there songs in here i don't they listen to something in the again car. with the ending credits <laughs> <laughs> there uh the nine inch nails song in the clip in the end last. oh that's right there was yeah. a yeah oh yeah that was yeah. my favorite there was a nine inch nails song if you see we this is the problem we we watched it too long ago and then i got sick and we couldn't we couldn't record it. well i just remember going better. that's a pretty classy song for this movie how did they get that because i mean broke the broken ep is great i think they had an eagles of death metal song in there too but i can't remember hmm. andy uh, i also got sick i thought i was dying so it wasn't just you yeah uh Allergies trying to kill me, and I don't know what was trying to kill you. Where are you, Mucinex, when we need you? <laughs> we keep. How many hints do you need, Mucinex? Mm-hmm. Mucinex defines my dating. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Is this a good movie? No. No. <laughs> do I have to say it out loud for real? Okay. I'm I'm with you, Andy. There are parts of this movie that are entertaining, but I think in general, this movie needs to be done differently. Um, yeah. To to make it like Melissa, like you said, to make it recommended, so somebody else has to put their stamp on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there are a couple things about this movie that I thought were were pretty entertaining. Um. So and no claymation, big plus. <laughs> no, big no, minus. Could have used some claymation. I <laughs> if you could have been, killed, you could have been killed by the California raisins. This one <laughs> I loved those commercials. I did too, oh dude. God. If they had put murdering California raisins in this show, that shit would have haunted me. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, I bet you wonder how I knew. <laughs> nice. <laughs> The Claymation Christmas is still my all-time favorite Christmas episode, by the way. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's right. a uh, – hey, did you know that Will Vinton Studios, who made that Claymation, um, all that all that stuff for the California Raisins, almost went out of business and then through an angel investor uh, became a full-fledged movie studio – that eventually became Leica Studios. No kidding. Yeah, who who made you know Kubo and the Two Strings and Paranorman and um, all these other great stop motion um, films. Uh, the their angel investor was Phil Knight of Nike. Wow, because uh, he was looking for an investment. And his son really, really, really loved claymation and animation and said, Dad, this stuff is really good and it's really important and they're going to go under. Can you please save this business? He did it. He put his son in charge of the studio. And that man made Kubo and the Two Strings. Wow. So that is Travis Aww, Knight. Good nepotism. Yay. It's good. It's like the one time where nepotism worked out, but it's because he, by his own um, 
his own uh, uh, story, Travis is like, I didn't know anything about the business. So I went in and like started working from the bottom up. And like he didn't direct a movie until like 20 years later. So good on him. He was just like supporting good people. And then he's like, okay, I'm finally good to like do this now. I actually have like my own creative vision and made Kubo, which I think is what probably one of the best animated movies of the last 10 years. Um, anyway, yeah, the one, since we're talking about nepotism and, and also um, if anybody has seen air, the, uh, the, the Affleck um, and uh, Damon movie about air Jordans uh, also film night. Anyway, because it's out there. That was my my second favorite. Kubo is my second favorite behind Stanley Spadowski's Clubhouse. <laughs> Speaking of people who take over studios and do amazing things. Stanley Spadowski also, yes, very good. Although he didn't he didn't get it from uh uh his from nepotism. He just did it cuz he's a good janitor. That's know? true. Uh, yeah. Weird Al got it from his uncle, right? Oh, that's true. That's true. Weird Al did get it from yeah. George Newman got it from from his uncle, which he his wanted uncle a Paul, poker game. Paul so, Newman. Paul Newman. <laughs> Along with the salad dressing in the kitchen. <laughs> Those are all UHF references. Everybody's <laughs> wondering what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> Everyone's like, I'd rather watch I, that movie than this. What? <laughs> uh, anyway, I will yeah, I will come back to this. I will I will say this is a good movie, but I agree there's a lot of criticism here, but I think it's functional and and I like sort of general idea of where it's going bad on feminism stuff is the main character a good person who's the main character who's the main character bradley whitford (laughs) it's not fucking joss whedon (laughs) self-insert i guess you make all five of the main characters yeah kids and they're all good people yeah there's nothing wrong with them no yeah I get, it's everybody yeah. around them who's horrible. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, would we show this to children? Should we show this to children? Not unless you hate them. <laughs> <laughs> we need a Melissa scale of should you show this to children. <laughs> it's my favorite ranking ever. Like, only if you hate them. Maybe if you only kind of like them. <laughs> like, this is such a if you want scale. to abuse them, <laughs> if you want to them. You want to piss it. off their parents. <laughs> I don't. I don't no. know if they would watch this. Yeah, and I know that my kids would have the same uh, would have the same qualms that we're bringing up, being like, "This movie's like low key misogynistic," and like, "It's not low key." It's like that's, mm-hmm. that's they're on. yeah, they're lampshading you into thinking it's low key, but it's quite high right. key, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Only if, you, in the woods. only if you hate them. Only if you hate them. <laughs> uh, oh, you cracked me up. That's awesome. <laughs> upcoming business. Uh, go go listen to me, Brooke, and JB talk about the Manxman coming soon to the Patreon. Uh, you can subscribe for one dollar and and get to listen to us talking about Hitchcock movies and more. Um, Next up for us, though, uh, we are going to take on the 2019 Evil Dead remake 
directed by Fede Alvarez. So uh, that is going to be... Is it 2019 or 2013? Um, oh, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I think I, I, I mistyped that. Yes, 2013. Okay, just right. checking because I wasn't sure if I missed one. No, no. <laughs> No. Shit, I didn't watch that one. It's like, oh crap. <laughs> I thought that was Ash versus Evil Dead in twenty nineteen. Shows you what yes, I know. It was. It was. Okay. I'm I I just I had You're, written you're it down fine. I again I was just dumb. doing for my clarity to make sure. Nope. I just I had just written it down wrong because I'm dumb. So uh yeah. But that's it. So go watch that for homework for next week and um I don't know. Fuck you, Joss Whedon. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Studio don't note. read the Latin. <laughs> Only if you don't like them. Throw back your head and kiss it all goodbye. Thank you. That will be all. God damn it! That's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Janet.